Welcome back to Agent Investor, inspiring stories of active agents investing in real estate and building passive income. In a business where potential deals are all around you, why not leverage your skills to invest for yourself, your family, and your future? And now, let's jump into the latest episode of Agent Investor. Yeah, that's why I wanted to, to talk to you because I feel like especially with some of the stuff we were like messaging about last night, like you're like the ideal person because to talk to, because, you know, you have so many reasons why you could say like, Oh, it wouldn't work for Michelle because of X. Right. So for, um, you know, just to let you know, I'm going to be sharing this with like other agents that, that are thinking about getting into investing, but either aren't sure if it makes sense for them or just haven't kind of made the leap yet. Mm-hmm. So, um, can you just tell us a little, really, like how long have you been in real estate in general, like as an agent? Yep. As an agent, um, my six year anniversary was in February. So now I'm entering into my seventh year as an agent. All right. Seventh year. Um, so when you got started, what, did you start originally being on a buyer team? Is that what I did. Yep. I started, yep. I started on a buyer's team as just as a buyer's agent and it was a very small team. So I started in the winter where it was kind of slow. So I literally, you know, we, he sat us down and it would be like, this is how you write an offer. This is how you sit with a, but this is how you sit with a buyer. I had a questionnaire of questions that I would ask. So I was so well versed that like, if I ran into something like, Oh my God, this termites, what do I do? My mantra became don't panic, just call Hannah. That was my transaction coordinator. So yeah. I could fall apart behind the glass to her be like, dude, this termites, what do I do? Oh my God. You know? So it was a great learning experience, but my clients never knew if it was my first deal or my 50th. Yeah. That's awesome. So, um, so you were on a team and I know you did pretty well. I mean, I know obviously you're, you're definitely a natural salesperson. Like you have the most energy out of anyone I've ever met in my entire <laughs> life. Uh, so <laughs> it's pure adrenaline and ADHD and anxiety all rolled up into one. This is decaf coffee, by the way, for that reason. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, you, you definitely, you know, were successful as an agent, you were on the team. And, um, at what point did you say like, Hey, like maybe I'm interested in investing or I'd love to do some investing at some point. Was that like way before, like you even got licensed or was that after you got into the business? Like where did that kind of fit in? I'm glad you asked. I actually have props. So uh, bitten by the bug, like many of us years ago, I couldn't find the actual book, but I found this one was very influential for me. The uh, rich dad, poor dad, uh, cash flow quadrants. It was very easy for me to see before I got into real estate investing. I mean, uh, as an agent, I was an employee and then I became self-employed. I was like, all right, well, this is not good. So I need to be over here. You know what I mean? So that was, this book was really huge for me. Um, and of course the original rich dad, poor dad. And then of course I had to follow it up with rich woman. And this is my favorite because I hate being told what to do. Yep. And I don't know if you're familiar with that book as well. So these were very influential for me to be like, okay, I want to be, my father died just to kind of give you like a, a synopsis of where this stems from. So I'm 49. Um, my dad died when I was 14. So he was my age. He was 48. And so it was obviously, it obviously affected me in a really powerful way that a lot of people don't know. And so when you lose, you know, the breadwinner of the family and and that level of security, it really shapes you. Um, For me, it did anyway. And so at a very early age, I said, you know, I need to become self-sufficient, you know, uh, financially, you know, self-sufficient. How can I support myself? So um, I was personal training at the time and I met my transaction coordinator. She was my client. And so we were chit-chatting about real estate for six months. She asked me to join the team. 
And then uh, I was like, of course, I'm ready to jump out the window being a personal trainer. I like to work out, but I don't want to be, I don't want to own my own gym. So anyway, so I learned everything soup to nuts and I started reading these books and I just said, you know what? I ultimately want to be an investor, but I have no business being an investor if I have no clue about real estate. So I knew I needed to educate myself on a foundational level on how to be an agent, how to be good at that craft and learning the market before I had any right to jump into real estate investing. Yeah. And you actually just hit on the point that I always say to agents that are considering investing, there's so many people that become investors that never were agents. And agents have so many competitive advantages, I feel like. You know, you know how to get a deal done. You know how to analyze a property. You know how to run comps. And for me, like if you're already an agent and you've had a couple of years experience in the business, like you're way ahead of the curve in terms of just like you already have probably 75% of the skills that you need to be successful. It's just like unlocking those other ones. I agree. And I like those books that you, that you just put on the screen. So mine was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Like mm. you put up cash flow quadrant. That's a great book. Uh, Rich Woman, I'm not familiar with, but I'm sure it's a great book as well. It's part of that series. And I think like everybody kind of starts off. Like if you ask anybody, like, how did you get into real estate investing? It always starts with like that epiphany of like, oh my God, like I'm in the E quadrant and I can't keep living in the E quadrant. Or for me, just like understanding that I wasn't ever going to achieve my goals, continuing to doing the same thing that I was always doing. Right. So I didn't know that you were interested in investing before you got started, but I like the fact that you got into it and you built your base on you know, understanding the real estate business where a lot of people that are going to be listening to this, um, you know, call are going to have the same experience that you had where you're a successful agent, you were working, you, they want to do investing. Now you put up that book, Rich Woman. So I think yes. that's an interesting thing. So we, we talked about this last night. I feel like many women think that they can't get into the investing business. And um, I think it's a huge misconception because I think that a lot of women believe that, hey, I need to be good at contracting or I need to have a contracting background or there's something like for you, like was there ever that thought in your mind of I can't do this because I'm a woman for some reason? Uh, yes, but in a different way. So um, kind of like what we were talking about last night. So I um, anger really fuels me and we'll, we'll cover that as we kind of get through. <laughs> Goes up with I'm, the anxiety. I'm glad we're on a Zoom call right now. <laughs> yeah, no one's going to get hurt. Don't worry about it. But um, it, what's interesting to me is, is that, um, you know, it's it, my anger fuels me because it, my, I feel like if you're complacent, complacency, you don't get anywhere with complacency. You need to become irritated with your situation in order to, to bring change. So that's why I sort of use anger in that way. And so um, for me, you know, um, there were not many uh, real estate investing pioneers that I, that, you know, uh, females that I could pull from. And I was like, hey, this is, this is really making me angry. I want to be a trailblazer. I want to be, you know, this kind of woman, but how come there's no women that I can go to? You're not that I don't love men. I love you guys for many reasons, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but yeah, I'm just kidding. But seriously. So, I mean, it's just, I, and, and, and I've had some great male mentors, but I said, how come there's no female mentors that can, that can mentor on me? So that's been a, then a source of frustration and fear for me. But I said, you know what? I'm just going to do it anyway. It's like feel the fear and do it anyway. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the misconceptions, it's a huge one. It doesn't matter if you're a woman or a man. Is that like, I need to be either a contractor or I need to have contracting experience in order to get it done. Mm. And I think that the, what, you know, you told me this a while back about one of the 
first deals that you did was a deal where you partner with somebody. Yes. And that's, you know, people, people typically say like, I can't do investing for two reasons. I don't have money. I'm not a contractor. Or I don't understand contracting. And I always say to people, that's not a reason not to be an investor. In fact, that's how I, I had no money. I didn't have any experience, nothing at all. I still do to this day. Mm-hmm. Talk about like how you, how you, how did you deal off deal where a rehab project didn't have the construction experience and like, how did that go and how did that end up turning out for you? I'm glad you asked. Um, so that was my very first deal in 2017. Um, that was, I was, uh, partnered with, I was with a different brokerage at the time as an agent and I found, I was doing a short sale across the street and uh, I had just literally paid a thousand dollars for a course. It was called how to find the hidden gems. And so I was like, well, I was dying to put it in practice. I was like, all right, let's do this. It was around the Super Bowl time in 2017. And so anyway, so I asked the guy that I was doing the short sale for, I said, hey, do you know anybody else in the neighborhood that's looking to sell? He points across the street and he said, you know, um, that little house right there, he said, there used to be a cute little old lady that used to live there. And she's in her 90s. And now she, um, you know, she's in like an assisted living or a nursing home. Her sons are managing the property. So now I'm drooling like a pit bull with a bone because I know that managing the property means it's vacant. So I immediately get on the horn and I super sleuth and I find, you know, I find the sellers, um, you know, skip tracing or whatever. And so the sons and um, and so I ended up uh, talking to them before they cleaned out the house. The house was full to the brim with stuff. Um, and I caught them before they, they did anything. The only thing they did was they pulled up the carpets. They did not want to make it pretty for an open house or clean it out or whatever. I said, I'll take it as is. And so that really intrigued them. So, uh, so I got it under contract and then I thought, Oh God, what do I do now? I have it under contract. So then I said, okay, now I have to find an investor. Now I've had relationships with investors, just being an agent and being interested as many years as I have. And so long story short, investors that I knew and liked and trusted, everybody wanted to, and I hate to use the word steal. They wanted to steal it to me for, from me for pennies on the dollar. And then I got, and, Oh, and by the way, we can't afford to have you relist it. So uh-huh. now the anger comes in. So welcome Michelle's anger. So I was so angry that I said, you know what? F these people. I don't know how I'm doing this deal, but I am bullshit and I'm doing this deal. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I'm angry. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I talked to my broker at the time and he, he's like you. He can invest, you know, blindfolded with what I'm tied behind his back while he's sleeping. That's, you know, and he just does deal after deal after deal. Yep. So I called him up and I said, listen, I need you to take a look at this property. I want to, you know, I'm looking for a partner. So he comes by and it's a cute little four bedroom, one bath ranch. He goes, you know what? It smells like money to me. And so I said, yeah, I'm glad you feel that way. And so before I know it, now I'm partnering with him, but I didn't worry because he controlled the whole thing. So like you said, being a woman, not knowing how to swing a hammer, although he did give me a sledgehammer. So I got to smash one wall. So I'm <laughs> about that. Just, it was like HGTV relive, you know? But yeah. that was the extent of my knowledge. And I did kind of, he gave me a few assignments, but he was really babysitting the contractors and I watched kind of what he did. And I ended up netting $32,000 just from partnering with him. We did a commercial deal. Um, I put 10% down, he put 10% down. And then we, we ended up financing in with a commercial loan, all of the rehab costs, sold it for $25,000 over asking, and I netted $32,000. That's awesome. And, and that's just you know, a perfect example about how you don't need to be a contractor, how you don't, don't need to put a lot of money down. I mean, in some cases on a partner deal like that, you know, it's... It, to me, especially as it's about finding opportunity. So even though you did put 10%, sometimes you don't even have to put 10% in because right. somebody else will finance the deal. Right. Now, maybe you wouldn't have gotten 50%. Maybe you would have. It really just depends on what you're willing to negotiate out. 
but the, the biggest thing for any investor, I don't care who you are, is just finding the deal. And right. once, once the deal's there, and like Mike, I know who you partner with, you know, he does a lot of these type of projects for him, you know, hardest thing, even though he does a ton of them, is getting that next deal. So that was a huge, you know, it's a win-win for both parties. And you think that yes. as an investor, that's what you're looking to do. You're looking to create win-win transactions where everybody's happy. So we've got a win for you. Uh, we've got a win for Mike, who you partner with. And so the, the other win that, that a lot of times, you know, gets unnoticed is the win for the seller. Yes, absolutely. So sometimes people have the, the misconception like, hey, you know, you're an investor, you're going to go into someone's house, the house is going to be worth 200000 and you're going to buy it for, for 50000 And that the person is going to end up being unhappy at the end of the transaction. So now that you've done a bunch of these, um, is it fair to say that when the person sells to you, that it's a solution and not necessarily like something that's happening to them that's bad? hundred percent. Yep. I, now I, exactly. I'm glad you said that. I feel like I'm, uh, I provide solutions. So I, I've always believed in solution selling anyway. I mean, I could, you know, I could probably sell a ketchup popsicle stick to a woman in white gloves and convince her it was a good idea, you know, but it's, uh, but it, it that's my dad. Cause my dad was a salesman as well. So I get that from him. But, um, but yeah, it's, I, I really believe that I'm helping people, which is why I'm focusing on distressed sellers right now. That's my new niche is I'm sort of segueing away from the regular buyers and sellers. I've just done it for too long. It just doesn't interest me anymore. It doesn't feel my passion, you know, but doing these short sales, in fact, I just left a short sale that I've had going on since February right now. And just helping these people out of a horrible situation to me gives me not only great joy because I know I'm helping them, but it also is very lucrative for me. So that's my, that's my niche. Yeah, and I think like the the thing that's important to point out is most sellers will not sell directly to an investor and it doesn't make sense for them. And right. as as an agent, a lot of times we run into what I would call like a retail situation where you walk in and all of the investor value proposition, like the sell your house fast for cash, closing your own time frame, all of that stuff, it's not a it's not that big of a benefit for them. Right. So I think most agents get confused and they're like, well, why would my client ever sell for that price? But they don't understand the five to 10% of the time um, that it makes a lot of sense for whatever reason. And like one of the stories that I, I tell is just, again, it's all about solutions, but I can think of a property uh, that we bought in Natick, which is a pretty nice town around here. The um, seller inherited the property from his parents. He actually grew up in the home. He didn't work. Now he was about mid fifties and he couldn't afford to pay the taxes anymore or upkeep the house. Mm -hmm. So all he wanted to do was sell the house and rent because he had full equity in the home and the home was worth maybe 300,000. So he lived off of, um, he lived off of a small amount of money. He didn't need a lot. He just wanted to rent a, a cheap one bedroom apartment and have a place that he didn't need to upkeep. And you would think, wow, that's pretty simple. We'll just list your house, get your 350 and then rent. But mm. the problem for this potential uh, seller was he had no job and nobody wanted to rent to him. Now he didn't have money for first lasting security. So every landlord that he went to, they would go there. Uh, he would go there and they would just say, no, show me your, show me what you make. Um, and then he didn't make anything. So when we went out to his house, 
it was a pretty simple thing, but again, something that only an investor can do. Mm. We said, let's do this. Let's approach a landlord. We'll put down two years worth of rent for you. Wow. We took, you know, 30 K or some, somewhere in that ballpark and approached the landlord and said, yeah, I get that this guy has no job, but he's selling his house. He's going to have capital. And we're just going to give you up front two years worth of rent. And of course, for a landlord, that's a great deal. Mm. But this is the exact type of thing. That's just one of a hundred examples. That's just one type of example where it made a lot more sense for the seller to sell directly to us because right. we can help him in a way that a retail buyer could never do, that a listing could never, never help him. Right. So it's all about, you know, the solutions. Um, so you talked about a deal that you partnered on and that, you know, was a great deal. You made $32,000. You didn't have to manage the construction. You just found the deal. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing I always point out to agents is like, you didn't do anything that was like crazy outside of your normal, of what no. you do as an agent anyway. So I think one of the mindset shifts that, Um, I try to get agents to kind of think about is that there are opportunities that come up passively for you as an agent, just being in the business and keeping your eyes open and knowing what to look for. Now you, you said you're going to shift and you're looking to do investing like almost like full time and not do as much of the agent stuff. Right. I'm, I'm talking now specifically to agents that like say, Oh, I don't have time to do this. And my, my, my thing is you don't, you can do a deal or two on the investment side a year, put 32 grand in your pocket with just doing what you're normally doing and just having your eyes open. Like, Oh, Hey, the house across the street from the house that I'm listing is in really poor shape. Maybe make a phone call and just see what's going on. And instead of like going out there trying to list their home, Hey, how do I buy this? And if I'm buying it, how do I partner with somebody? But right but you haven't done just partner deals. So talking about like not needing money. Um, can you talk a little bit about like a couple of the deals that you've done with me and just how you've done on them overall? I know you had a couple short sales and uh, an equity deal. Yeah, absolutely. You know, what's funny is I like to use the word uh, reticular activating system, you know, like when you buy a new car or whatever, like I just got a, a, a toy, I'm going to call it a Honda CRV. Uh, not too long ago. And then when I was thinking about buying one, I saw them everywhere, right? So my reticular activating system is going 24 seven. So when I drive down the street, I can't not see a crappy property. I (laughs) I just can't not see it. You know what I mean? Like it's just, I'm like, oh my God, like I'll pull over on the side of the road. I'm taking pictures. I'm like, I'm all intrigued because that's just where my attention goes. So um, the the two deals that you bought for me on the same street, I call it the money street. Uh, you were like, what are you going to do? Buy every house on the street? <laughs> that's, in, that's insane. You got, so you got two investment deals on the same street within like, how long was it? Oh my God. It was like, uh, well, the closing dates, one was November of 2019. And um, let me think about this. And, uh, and actually the other one was before that. I, th- I forget what the date was, but it was a handful of months. And both of them were vacant properties. So I, I found them both on the way to the, of the dump that I go to on a weekly basis to dump off my recycling and trash. And so I would see them, again, the typical signs are really overgrown, you know, really dilapidated on the outside. Just like really, you know, I mean, like I said, you'd have to be Helen Keller not to see them. So, and so um, I ended up, one of them had a lockbox on it. And, you know, you're thinking to yourself, okay, I've seen the lockbox before, you know, it's either going to be listed for sale. Maybe it's a bank on you. Start going through all these scenarios in your mind. 
And then I just said, you know what? I'm just going to look it up. So that was, uh, that was 929 Havel Street. That was the big white house with the fallen down barn. Yep. So looked it up. And of course it was still owned by the seller. So I was like, okay, this is interesting. Um, so I ended up reaching out to the estate attorney, um, who I found to be nice, but relatively useless. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I hate to say that. I just thought to myself, what a tremendous disservice are you doing to your client was what I thought. I get a sweet woman, but like in her sixties, hang it up, sister, you're done. You know? So, cause what she told me was, is that she had been approached over the last few years as this house is rapidly deteriorating from other people that wanted to buy the house, but don't tell the seller or anything. Just, just, just put them in a file. So when I contacted her, I said, I'm really interested in this property. I want to buy this property. Can you show it to me? She said that, you know, the woman who owned it died five years prior. And then uh, the daughter came by right after her mother died, took whatever belongings she wanted and handed over the keys to the estate attorney five years ago. Wow. Right. I was like, I felt like I was a kid in a candy store. I'm like, how is this even possible that this, you know, property is still available? Let's take a quick break from the episode. To get weekly video trainings and connect with other agent investors, join our free private Facebook group. Just go to joincamerancoaching.com and we'll add you to the group. We'd love to see you there. So anyway, so long story short, um, she shows me the property. Uh, actually, we can't get in right away because the keys that she has don't work. So anyway, she allowed me to change the locks, which I thought was interesting. So I changed the locks, uh, was, we were able to get into the house and then, um, I ended up, uh, you know, it was a short sale because it was a reverse mortgage. So that's, that's why we couldn't do a clean, get it under contract, you know, assign the contract kind of thing, which is what you and I did next, which we'll cover. So this was a short sale. It was upside down. I think, uh, she owed something crazy like 350 or 375 or 400, and you ended up buying it for 235, but we had to negotiate that. I had a short sale mitigation company, Marianne Little. Um, and so she mitigated the short sale and I made $7,500 by listing it. Mm-hmm. And um, that was awesome. And I was able to get 4% uh, because I, I was trying for six, but when they found out that I was getting both sides, they cut me back to four. So that was a lesson learned for what you and I are doing now, which we'll cover. And that's, so that's a huge thing that you just mentioned right there. And I think especially on short sales, like, Banks are going to approve them almost across, across the board at 6% if there's two agents involved. That's right. So you just have to make sure that you work something out with somebody else so that you get that full 6%. And obviously, like me and you um, are working on you know, a deal now where um, you're going to get that 6%. But that's, that's, right. that's just kind of like, I, and I think like, you know, the fact that you showed three books right in the beginning, that's so key because all of this stuff is like education. So like you, you do the right thing, not the right thing. That's not the right phrase. You, you know how to do something the right way, mm-hmm. to the most amount of money possible. So by doing it the wrong way, you lost 2%. And what is, what was 2% on that deal? $5,000? Yeah, probably. Exactly. Yep. So just like strategically knowing how to structure that deal and having nothing else, but being educated, you may, you would have made $5,000 more dollars. And, and, um, let's say that on that first deal that you did with Mike, like, let's just say that you said, Oh, I don't know what to do here. Let me just list this property. What would you have made if you just listed it? Oh God, we sold it for four twenty five. I mean, you figure, you know, even just, uh, and I, and I didn't supply the buyer, so I'm, I'm getting 2%. And I think, you know, I think, uh, I think my agreement with him was like 70 or 75% of that. That was my cut. So I would have lost a lot of money. So let's just say, being aggressive, you would have made eight thousand dollars. Sure. Yeah. So you made twenty-four thousand more dollars 
on one single transaction just because you were educated, just because you were looking for the stuff, just because you said, oh, let me actually find a solution. Yes. I think the thing that a lot of agents do is instead of saying like, hey, like, how can I make this work for me? They just go, they list it, and it ends up working out for somebody like me, which is fine. Like, I don't sure. being the person that, that makes the profit. But at the same time, if you're the one that found the deal, you hustled, um, you know, you deserve to make a good amount of money on it. And yeah. So the second deal that you got, and this is like another one, you know, when, when I found out what you were paying, I was like, my God, you did really <laughs> well on that one. But, but you know, and this is the thing I think with, you know, good investors is I, I want you to get a great deal on it. Mm. Like I, I want you to make a lot of, I want us, I want to, for me, I want it to be a win, win, win. I want it to be a win for the seller, a win for the person that brings me the deal. And I want to win myself. And, Absolutely. and if you win a lot, then that's great. Um, so the second, so you, you talked about the short sale that was on the street in Raleigh. I think that was nine twenty nine. And yes. the second one was what, 623? That's right, 623 Haverhill Street, yep. 23 Haverhill. So um, can you give us the synopsis on that one? Yeah, sure, Ken, yep. And I just want to say one more thing about the fix and flip that I did with Mike. Um, is uh, The very first time I did it, I was scared to death. And so that's what stops a lot of people is fear. Is Because I, I can't say I almost didn't do it because that's not what I do. I'm the person that jumps out of the canoe and says, oh, shit, I left a life back in the canoe. Oh, well, I'm just going to keep swimming because, you know what I mean? Like, I'm already out there. What am I going to do? So, I mean, and honestly, it's, it, I, don't, I don't, some people think I'm foolish. Or, you know, like, my sister thinks I'm nuts. Uh, but she also has a job that she hates. So I've just always been a risk taker. And so you have to feel the fear, but you have to do it anyway. And I knew I had enough people around me that could guide me to do it. And I knew Mike would mentor me. And if, it, if I'd been working with you at the time, I knew that you would have mentored me. You know what I mean? Like you have to know enough people that be like, listen, I found this great deal. I don't know what to do with it. How can I maximize this? And, and, and just knowing that you need to step out of your comfort zone, I think stops a lot of people versus I, I knew it was a pinnacle moment because regret is something tough to live with. It, it's, a best, it's a dish best served cold. You know what I mean? And I just said, you know what? I can't live with, if I don't do this, I'm going to regret that for the rest of my life. And I can't live with that. So, so hopefully what, that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. So what, help me get in the mindset of where you were at at that point. Like, what was the fear? Like you were worried that what was going to happen? I was worried about everything. I said, oh my God, I found this great off-market property. You know, I'm going to be negotiating with the, uh, with the seller who was a Jewish lawyer, by the way. That was interesting. I can't believe I got into contract. That was amazing. And yeah. so um, long story short, um, I just was saying to myself, okay, what do I do once I get it under contract? You know, how, how, I, I had no idea what the end game looked like because I knew I didn't have the money to buy the house. Um, I didn't, I had never assigned a property before. So that wasn't even on the table for me. That wasn't even on my radar like it is this year. So then it became, okay, if I get in a contract, what do I do? And I was, I was first going to try to flip it to an investor. I was, I was going to try to do an assignment. And so, but like I said, everybody wanted to steal it from me for like three to 5,000 and give me nothing. So yeah. that anger fueled me to be like, this is not a good option. And I just knew that, like I said, my broker at the time, Mike had done a ton of fix and flips. And I said, you know what, maybe I got to do a fix and flip, but I'm not letting this go for peanuts. This is a big deal. So, you know, you talked about the fact, like you, you were afraid to kind of put it under contract and like, what were you going to do after the fact? And I think a lot of us do that with our first deal. Yeah. Hindsight being 2020, if you looking back, what would you have told yourself like in terms of like, Hey, like what, like, 
why shouldn't you be scared of that, getting that deal? Right. You mean like myself right now or my future self advising my young, my younger self? I'm saying right now, what would you say? Like if you, if you bumped into 2017, Michelle, and she was like, Oh my God, like, I don't know. Like I put this property into contract, the discounted price. Like, I don't know if I can make money. Like I'm afraid to do it. Like, what would you tell yourself uh, in 2017 right now? I would, I would first be like, you have to do this. (laughs) There are people that have, don't even have a quarter of the knowledge base that you have. You know, you can do this. And you just need to, you know, you can get this done. Just ask the right questions to the right people. You have enough people around you that can guide you on how to do this and what the best solution is. Take the risk. But now what risk though? So tell me about what, what is the worst case scenario on a deal like that? Honestly, when I say you're right, there wasn't really a big risk. It was really an emotional risk for me because it was pushing myself out of my comfort zone. That was really the only risk. You're right. I mean, it didn't, you know, it, it, there was no really financial risk. I mean, except for if I signed it to someone for peanuts and I walked away with three to 5,000 and found out that I got screwed, you know what I mean? That would have been a hard lesson to swallow, but you're right. I wouldn't have really lost anything. You know, there was no risk there. I wasn't putting my money on the line. It was just the fear of not knowing. Yep. So I think like, you know, the thing that I always try to get across to people is like, when you get a great deal, like you got, it's not a matter of like, whether or not you're going to be able to figure out a way to make money on it. It's just, how do you, how do you make money? Do you like, like what you said, like, okay, so what's the worst case scenario? The worst case scenario is you get a property in a contract for a great price and you assign it and you don't make as much money as you would have hoped to make. Right. That's like the worst case scenario. So your worst case scenario, I'm putting a great deal under contract was to make like three to $5,000. That's right. Which I agree with you is not the objective, but that's the worst case scenario. And then the upside for you was that you were going to make 32,000. That's right. So then you got the short sale on nine, uh, nine 23, no, nine. And and that one you made 7,500. 7,500. Yep. You should have made 12. That's right. And then, and then you just driving down the street, just doing what you normally do because you live in Raleigh, right? That's right. I do. So you're just driving around. You're not really like saying like, I'm trying to like find a deal. But yeah, I'm not driving up and down every street. Yep. You just, you're driving and you're like, whoa, there's another house in the street that needs work. Mm-hmm. So you approach that seller, you negotiate with that seller. And what did you put that property under contract for? Uh, I put that under contract for 80000 Okay. $80,000 for a single family. And if you're in our market, I mean, you, Raleigh's a nice town. Um, I don't know too many towns that are in the greater Boston area that $80,000 wouldn't be a home run deal. No, I was just going to say, and most people don't even know like, where the hell is Raleigh? And then you yeah. tell them, you're like, Oh, it's between Topsfield and Georgetown. And oh, okay. That makes sense. Like that. No one has any clue where it is. It's like the no, hidden gem. It is. It's, it's a nice town kind of off the beaten path, but right. you know, re- resale on, you know, a small home in that area is 400,000. Right. Small home. You know, and there's a lot of really big homes in Raleigh as well. Um, so you put it under contract for 80. Yeah. So you, you brought the deal to me. And so when, when somebody brings the deal to me, and this is what you've got to do as an agent, if you've got a great deal, is you just go to somebody and say, hey, what can you pay? Right. To me, to me like a good investor, you don't need to tell them like, oh, hey, I paid 80 and I want to make 10. It doesn't That's have any- right. It doesn't have anything to do with what, what they should pay for it. That's right. I gave you no information about what I had in the contract for. Yeah. Yeah. And even, even, even as we went along, 
like, you know, I only found out because I, I think we said, Michelle, don't double close on this. Like, like, because that would have cost you, uh, I don't think you did. You didn't double close on it. Did no, you? I didn't double close. I was thinking about it. Cause uh, I, I wasn't sure if you'd be angry about how much money I made. <laughs> By no. now I know it doesn't matter. My, so my first deal that's literally like right behind me on the wall is a two family I put under contract in Somerville and I put it under contract for 300,000 and I assigned the contract to somebody for 115,000. Oh my God. That is amazing. Wow. Yeah. And that and you didn't double close. You just assigned it. Yep. And, and wow. truth, truth be told, that was a lucky deal. You know, yeah. so, so assigned deal, putting none of your own money up, having somebody close to make that much. The only reason I got it, we talked about fear. The yeah. only reason I got it is because when I walked into that two family and that was on Cameron Ave. That's yes, that's Cameron. I knew that. Okay. Yep. That's the, what the brokerage. When I walked into that house, my numbers on my spreadsheet said I could pay 400,000. I hadn't done a deal before. I was so scared that she was going to take the 400,000 that I offered her 300,000. <laughs> that's so I, awesome. I'm serious. And she took it. And then you were like, oh my God. I had no clue. I, you know, I left with the same feeling you did. And my biggest fear, to be honest with you, mine was just, I just told somebody I could pay 300,000 for the house and I don't have Mm $300,000. So I was lucky enough, kind of like you, I had a mentor and somebody who I went to and I said, she took my offer. What am I going to do? I have no money. And he said, yeah, it doesn't matter. Like, you, you don't have to do that deal. You can have somebody else do it. And the person that I assigned the contract to, he made way more than me. So he took the, the two family in a nice part of Somerville, turned it into two luxury condos, and he ended up netting about $300,000. Yeah, so he could care less about your 112000 115000 fee. No. Um, you know, to, in hindsight, on that one particular deal, I probably could have made more on it. But, mm-hmm. but like in my mind, I mean, cause I, what I ended up doing was I had, you know, I had that person, I went to him and I said, well, what can you pay? And the second he said 415, I was like, done. Yeah. I wasn't even trying to negotiate because wrap it up. I was in my mind. If I made $20,000 on that assignment, if he offered me 320, I would have taken it. Right. Right. And I'm glad that he offered me. 415, but I probably, <laughs> I probably could have got a little bit more if I negotiated with him. Right. Right. So you got that. That was your first lesson at the school of hard knocks. Yep. Oh yeah. And, and yep. we all, you know, I think the thing is like, we all, you're all, we're all going to make mistakes as we go along. Right. hundred percent. Um, you want to associate with people who have made those mistakes so that you can make less of them. That's right. You're never going to not make mistakes, but like, if you can prevent some mistakes here and there, then that means you're going to make more money and you're going to have less problems. That's right. So I've learned more from my failures than I have from my successes. Oh yeah. Um, and so you put that property under contract for 80 and then what did you assign it for and what did you net from us? Well, she also, I knew she also had a small $50,000 mortgage, which is she was about to go into foreclosure and I'm a door knocker, by the way, for those of you that haven't done this, I will knock on doors to the neighbors because they love to tell you everything. And so I found out that the property had been vacant for 15 years. Mm-hmm. Okay. 15 years. I'm like, how is this even possible? And so the reason why I was going into foreclosure uh, was because she had a small $50,000 mortgage that she stopped paying on nine months prior. 
So they started, and all of a sudden, this is that was the second time. Nine twenty nine was the first one. The second I go into these properties, it's like I poked a bee's nest, and now everything gets accelerated. I don't know if there's cameras and people are seeing me, but like at the bank, all of a sudden everything is accelerated. So then I have to accelerate because I was like, oh no, I'm not losing this property. So I started calling her. And it was really funny. We had this game going on for like, it felt like three months. It was probably only one or two. And her name was Carol. And so whenever I would call her, I would be chatting with her, trying to explain to her that I wanted to buy her house. And then she would hang up on me, but I would pretend I didn't know. I'd call her back and I'd say, Carol, I'm so sorry. I hit a dead zone. She goes, no, I hung up on you. <laughs> so she actually admitted that she hung up on me, which was hilarious. So we had that dance going for a while. I think she called me a pain in the ass a few times and a few choice names. She was like, you're just trying to make money. And I said, well, that is how I feed myself. But I learned to, you know, to not take it personally. She was angry. She knew she was losing her house. I knew it was awesome. It was an awesome experience for me because I learned very quickly. This is emotional for her. It's not for me. And yeah. I need to show this woman that I can, I can help her. So I had to coach her along. It took me a good month to say, listen, Carol, I understand what you're saying, but you've paid on this $50,000 mortgage now for, you know, since I think it was like 2005 or something crazy. And now we're in 2020, right? So it's 2019. I said, all of that money that you paid will be all for naught if the bank takes the property. So if the bank takes the property for, for not getting $50,000, which you're telling me you don't have, you're going to lose all that money you paid. That means that the whole thing was a waste of time. Let me help you you know, let me help put money in your pocket and not let the bank get it. Let me, let me buy this property from you. So I had to like literally coax her and get her to trust me. And she was getting builders that were knocking on her door. Guys would show up literally off the job and, and she lived in Lynn. So, which is, you know, like, as you know, probably like 40 minutes from here, at least a half an hour. And so they were knocking on her door and she was like, oh my God, why are they showing up at my house? And I actually went to her house, but she didn't answer the door. So thank God she didn't know that. Uh, <laughs> cause she said she didn't want to deal with them cause they went to her house. She was offended. And even the next door neighbor to her went and put a note on her door and she was offended that he went to the door. So you never know what's going to offend somebody. You, and I would have talked my way out of it, even if she did answer the door. Um, so I just ended up building a relationship with her and I said, you know, how much do you want for the property? And I think originally her and her brother was involved. That was, oh my God, her brother was involved. And he was like, ah, you know, she let him have control. She he was like, I don't know, 75,000. I'm thinking to myself, oh my, I had heart palpitations. I'm like, all right, calm down, Michelle. Don't show you're excited. Calm down. So I said, I said, um, yeah, let me talk to my partners. I, I think I can do that. But, you know, I, so I let them sit on it for a day. And then I, I came back and I said, you know what? I said, I said, why don't we do it for, I think I even said, why don't we do it for an even 80? Because he came back for 100,000. Like, like he just, he was all over the map. And I was like, oh, this is going to get out of control if I'm not careful. So I said, okay, I can give you 80,000. And then she thought about it. And I said, we'll take care of everything else. Any, any back taxes you have, the mortgage, whatever. Um, and I already done a preliminary um, title search through, Sal you know, through Salem Deeds, the Registry of Deeds. So I kind of knew what I was into. And I talked to your attorney, Dawn, about it and whatever. So yeah, so, um, so we paid off a $50,000 mortgage. You paid 80 and I made 30. So yeah, it was a total of 160. Yep. So, so you just went through just a few deals. And I think this is the thing, if you're an agent that's thinking about investing, is like, how many, how many listings does it take to make 30? Yeah. Oh my God. And that's even if you're lucky to average 10 grand per deal. I mean, it's got to be more than three deals. It's got to be like, you know, you're lucky if it's three deals, but it's probably like five or six. Right. So five or six deals versus one. Right. And, and I know that you've, you've been doing this successfully enough that you're like, screw this. I'm not even going to do as many retail transactions anymore, which 100%. is, like, which is something that can happen. But also, even if you just, for, for any agents, even if you just did one of these a year, 
I mean, that's a ton of money to add. You know, if, if you're making, you know, 50 to $150,000 a year as an agent, and then you add another 30, another 40, that's just like extra money that you're going to make that you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have normally made. Absolutely. So, so what would you say, um, you know, again, going through like the objections for people, like, what would you say to somebody that says like, I need money. I need additional expert an agent that I need money. I need additional expertise. I can't do it because I'm a woman. I need to have a contracting background, like all of these different, like, you know, reasons why people say that they can't do it. What would I say to them? I would just say, those are just excuses. Those are excuses. And it's just fear. How bad do you want it? That would be my first question is, you know, is this something that's a, I'd like to have, you know, yeah. Oh, I love talking to people or I like houses, or is this something like I need to do this? Cause I need to change my financial, you know, trajectory. And for me, it's, it's a must have because I'm, you know, I'm not that we need to get into my semantics, but I'm a single woman. I take care of myself, you know, solely. I want to be financially free. I want to have 100% time freedom. That's my dream. I don't want to sell that to anybody else. That's my dream. The only, yeah. and I'm going to use real estate as the vehicle to get me there. And yep. the reason I choose not to do the agent side of it, like I said, is it just doesn't interest me anymore. But to your point, I mean, you know, I'm working on a couple of deals right now from new leads that I just got. And, um, and I think they're going to turn into retail deals. So even just focusing on these people that think they want to sell cash, uh, but because I can put on my realtor hat and I can be a realtor, I can still focus on this demographic and not even market to the rest of what everybody else is doing to get regular buyers and sellers. So I can still do both anyway. Yeah, I know. That's, that's another point is like, even if, it, that's the funny part is like, even if you just say, Hey, I'm just going to go after investment deals. You're probably still going to list a bunch of houses anyways, just because right. of the fact that selling to an investor isn't the right solution for a lot of sellers. That's right. So you're going to get that. You're going to, you're going to pop up those listings anyways. And then, you know, you, you pop up those listings. Now you're going to get some buyers from it. Even if you're not trying to get those buyers, like they're going to walk that's into right. an open house, they're going to call off an open house sign. And it's not that you're going to turn away good retail clients that's right. you can work with, but it's just not going to be as much of your focus anymore. That's right. But I, yeah. think, I, mean, I think your story is like super inspirational for, for people that, you know, are thinking that they can't do it. Um, they have obstacles and all of that. And, you know, I think like to tie everything in, I think it just goes back to like what you did right in the beginning, which is just show three books right? Because most people don't do that. They don't, they don't say like, okay, I want to do something and I've got to get the knowledge in order to do it. They mm -hmm. just, like you said, Hey, like I kind of want to do this, but if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. And I think that you need to have that to be successful really in anything. You've got to, you've got to make the decision like, Hey, I'm not looking back. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do what it takes. And it's not that difficult. Like it's not, no. it's nothing that like, you know, like humans do have done in our, you know, the entire span of, you know, uh, civilization, like we've done and gone through a lot of really, really hard things. And True. there are a lot of professions and there's a lot of businesses that are like, man, like, you know, people do hard, hard, hard stuff. Like, I really don't think that what we do on a day-to-day -day basis fits into that category. No. Uh, and it has more to do with what you said multiple times, which is just like, it's fear. It's, it's not that it's hard, like door knocking on that door or making a phone call or following up or whatever. It's not that it's hard. It's just that there's that little bit of fear 
And you have to be able to overcome that fear in order to push forward. But if you do push forward, if you do overcome that fear, like, you know, it becomes limitless what the opportunities are. Absolutely. I'm going to give you two more examples while they're at the top of my mind. Two things that, uh, that also fueled me, again, this is where the anger comes back in. Um, and so uh, we'll talk about young kids like, you know, 18, 20, 23, whatever. We'll cover that in a second. But the other thing I was going to say was RIAs. Like, you know, I, I was a member of the, uh, I think it was the Massachusetts Real Estate, uh, whatever you want to call it, um, I think it was .net or whatever. It was, it was a RIA. And so what I, and then I went to the Boston chapter as well that I think was in Medford or whatever. So one thing I noticed that I thought was really interesting, you probably find this too. I don't know if you're a member of those or if you still go. It amazed me how many people like, like we're talking about, they're like, oh, I, you know, I, cause I'd say, oh, you know, what's your focus? Oh, I, I don't really know. I don't know if I want to fix and flip. I don't know if I want to buy them. Most of these people that go, they have no clue they, they're interested in real estate investing because they're watching like I did too much HGTV or house zombies on A&E that I'm also addicted to or whatever it is, you know, it's like they're addicted to these TV shows. So they like real estate, but they have no clue. There's no focus. They haven't decided on what niche they want to go after. And it's just like, you know, it, it's like, um, you know, if, if an eagle is chasing two rabbits, they're both going to get away. You know what I mean? Like how, you have to, you have to find a focus and decide what you want to do and develop that niche. Mm-hmm. And the other thing with the anger piece is like these younger kids, cause I was, you know, I was doing podcasts, I was reading books or whatever. I was, you know, studying certain people that were doing the assignments. And again, this is where Michelle's anger fuels me very well is the fact that, um, I was like, this goddamn kid is 19 years old and he pulled down $30,000. If this effing kid can do it. Like, I was just like, yeah. are you kidding me? You know, like it just, it fueled me to think this kid is not even a realtor. Then I would go on my tangent. This kid's not even a realtor. He or she has no clue what they're doing and they're killing this. What is wrong with me? Oh, that's right. It's fear. Why aren't you doing this? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, so that's the funny thing. Like, you know, just to wrap up, like, Sorry for the swearing, by the way, but I get caught up. You know me. <laughs> that's okay. Um, I think like we, we put into our minds that you have to be like so good to do this. Right. And then you get into it and you start looking around and you're like, oh, that person is super, super successful. And that person, wait, hold on. Don't get me wrong. They're probably a hard worker, but there's but. nothing special about that person. And right. in fact, I might be better in some areas where they may be weaker, maybe they're better in some areas where I'm, I'm weaker, but, but like across the board, like if you were to line up all the people that are want to be investors and then all the people who do it really, really successfully, they wouldn't seem all that much different kind of on the surface. hundred percent. But the person who's successful took the step and they didn't look back and they just said, I'm going to keep doing it. If I get knocked down, I'm going to get back up. If I get knocked down. I'm going to get back up. So, um, so I want to thank you for, for jumping on. I know for a lot of people, you know, your story is going to be motivational and it's definitely, um, an exciting story. And I know that, you know, the future is going to be huge for you. I'm, I'm excited to kind of see, um, what the next year brings and, and after that as well. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it, Tom. It's such an honor for even for you to even want to, you know, have this, this call with me. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. And no more caffeine for the rest of the day. <laughs> oh no, I've been caffeine free for seven years. I'm not kidding. This is legit decaf. If I have regular coffee, it makes me feel like I'm on crack cocaine. Not that I know what that's like, but we're good. <laughs> and on that note, thank you, Michelle. Thanks so much, Tom. Take care. Thanks for listening to Agent Investor and especially thank you for sharing the show with other agents and reviewing the show on iTunes. Every time you share the show, you are potentially changing someone's life. 
To get weekly video trainings and connect with other agent investors, join our free private Facebook group. Just go to joincameroncoaching.com and we'll add you to the group. We'd love to see you there. And stay tuned for the next episode of Agent Investor.